Hello and welcome to the How To CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Murray Newlands. When you became a CEO, the world changed. Everything changed. You can crash and burn or you can make an amazing company. Building an amazing company is really hard. In this show, we hope to give you the tips and advice to build an amazing company. I'm delighted today to be joined by Vivek from Mayfield. We're going to be talking about how to raise your first $10 million. Vivek, please introduce yourself and the firm. Yeah, thank you, Murray. Great to be here. So my name is Vivek Sarsalat. I'm a venture capital investor at Mayfield Fund. So quick background on Mayfield. Mayfield is one of the oldest venture capital firms on Sand Hill. It's actually 50 years old as of this year. Um, over that time, we've invested in 500 companies, over 15 funds. We've seen 117 IPOs and 200 other successful M&A exits. We invest primarily in early stage startups, so seed, series A, series B, across enterprise, consumer, and engineering biology. And our portfolio companies on the, on the enterprise side include companies like HashiCorp, Outreach, and Rancher. And on the consumer side include companies like Lyft, Poshmark, and Grove. Uh, and so a little bit more on me. I, I graduated from Stanford. I'm a Bay Area kid. Uh, I started my career as a semiconductor device physics engineer in both big companies and startups for making the transition to software product management. And I started my journey into the cloud first as a product manager at Amazon Web Services up in Seattle. And then I came back down to the Bay Area at VMware, where I started the product group for cloud native application storage, just as containers became big. Uh, I then went to Docker, where I launched and ran the primary enterprise product. Um, after taking that to nine figures revenue and several hundred enterprise customers, I made the transition over to venture capital and joined Mayfield, where I'm an investor in enterprise infrastructure and product development tooling at the seed and series A stages. If people listen to the show and want to connect with you, how do they do that? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of different ways. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at the V Saraswat and, and connect with me there. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, I also blog at vagsaraswat.com where I talk about product strategy, investing in startups. So a couple of different ways. And I'm always looking to talk to entrepreneurs, product-oriented folks, and technical folks at any time. So launching straight into it, how do you raise your first $10 million? Yeah, Murray, I, I get this question all the time. And, you know, there's a couple of different ways to break down this problem. And, and we, see, we see it in diverse ways across different founders. And it really depends on what you're looking for, the level of experience you have, and really whether, whether you've, you've started companies before. One of the most common ways that we see with, with founders is to go and raise a pre-seed. Usually this is something less than a million dollars. Um, either through a pre-seed fund or, or a set of angel investors or through joining an accelerator or incubator uh, uh, process to go and prove out the concept. Then to go ahead and raise a seed from a seed fund uh, and, and prove out your product market fit and go and start building a team. And then finally to go ahead and raise a series A. Uh, another process that's becoming more and more common within the Valley is actually to skip the pre-seed process and go and raise a, uh, a, seed, a seed directly with a, usually a two to $4 million seed and build the concept and prove the early product market fit and then raise a series A itself. And then finally, the, the third process that, we're, that we see is actually going ahead and directly raising a pre-product series A. This typically only happens though for proven repeat entrepreneurs. But all three of those processes are ways that you can get to your first 10 million. And it, it just really depends on, on where you are in your career. So when looking at those uh, different routes, how are you as an investor evaluating companies seed and series A as to whether you're going to jump in? 
Yeah, so I typically look at four different areas when I'm evaluating companies, and this applies at both the seed and series A stages, and they're just sort of weighted differently as I think through them. So I think through the buckets of people, potential, product, and progress. So the aspect of people, this is really around the team and, 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 and the, the qualities of the personas on the team. So typically I look for a couple of different characteristics within the team. I look for superpowers. I look for within the personas on the team, what do these individuals bring? What characteristics do they have that nobody else has? This could be an incredible ability to sell. It could be a strong technical ability or, or an insight into the market that, they, that others don't have. It could be an incredible storytelling ability, but it's some ability that, that I don't see somewhere else. Um, another thing that I look for is just extreme passion. Uh, you know, entrepreneurship is a long journey. It requires an ability to, to really stick it out there for, for, for years. And it, it has a bunch of people telling you no along the way, whether it's investors, whether it's potential customers. And so you need the ability to really care about what you do and you need to have the resilience to, to survive that journey as well. So that passion I think is extremely important. The other thing that I look for is self-awareness. Um, and, and this is the ability to, to look within yourself and to see uh, to see not only where you are strong, but where you need help and where you're willing to go out and look for help and where you need to improve your skills. And there's actually two points within this that I look for strongly. There's two types of people who have self-awareness and want to improve. There's the ones who, as they're scaling up, they try to learn new skills and to do everything themselves as they improve. And there's the ones that when they see a problem, they try to hire other people to fill in the gap for that skill instead. And I think it's that second type of entrepreneur who's able to scale, to scale a company more effectively. So you know, I, I, look for, I look for that trait, and I think that the, the, the part around people is really the most important aspect of a company, and it's weighted certainly the most heavily at the early stage in seed and at the Series A as well. So people is by far the most important aspect. How do you feel the, uh, the, the mythology of the Steve Jobs who, who was uh, notorious for just driving people and driving problems, how does that fit within that thesis around people? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Steve Jobs was an incredible person and managed to have such an, such an impact on the Valley. But I think there's many kinds of people who can go and create an incredible company. And, you know, there, there's a lot of different kinds of people who can take a company to, to an incredible outcome. Uh, I, I had the, the fortune to meet uh, uh, earlier this year, Eric Yuan of Zoom. Uh, and, you know, Zoom obviously had an amazing outcome fairly recently. And he, he gave me an, an important... Uh, an important story about uh, the, how important it is to be humble and grounded and how as you, with each person you meet, you should come away with how nice you should treat that person because you never know where that person will end up in the valley and where you will end up in the valley or, or beyond the valley. And so you know, there's an importance to staying humble and grounded. And that, that had a powerful effect on me. And we've seen how Zoom has been successful and how Eric has been successful. And so, you know, I, I challenge people to think that there's multiple paths to being successful in the Valley. And I think that those, you know, both, you know, both Steve Jobs and Eric Cohen are examples of how you can be a successful founder. Excellent advice. Thank you. I meet lots of amazing people at uh, different conferences and events, and I'm always amazed where they end up, how important those people are to you later on in your journey. You know, like, they might be just an intern at one point and then they land an amazing job. That's an amazing connection for you. So I definitely think staying humble and, and really appreciating everyone that you walk into. Um, and so what about revenue? How much should CEOs in early stage companies focus on revenue? 
Yeah, and so this goes to the, you know, the four buckets I talked about, people, potential, product, and progress. This goes to the last one, progress. Really, how, how far have you gotten along? And I put that fourth on that list because really it is, in many ways, the least important part of both the seed and Series A. Certainly the least important of seed and, and, and one of the lesser important parts of Series A. I, I hear a lot of investors talk about, you know, reaching specific revenue milestones. You often hear at Series A, a one, one to two million ARR is often a, a typical milestone that's given at Series A, and it's seed the number is all over the place. We've invested in zero ARR businesses to having, you know, uh, some, some hundreds of K. I don't look for specific revenue milestones when I'm looking at these businesses. Uh, what I'm looking for, you know, let's, let's start with the Series A because that's the later, the later stage. I'm looking to see if you've built a repeatable and transactable go-to-market process. To me, that's much more important than any specific a milestone target for your revenue. Do you understand who your user and buyer is? Do you understand what the process of how you sell to that, how you, how you acquire that user and how you sell to that buyer is, whether it's a bottoms up or a top down process? And is that repeatable? For example, if it's a top down process, have you figured out five to 10 customers that you can sell to effectively in a repeatable way. If it's a bottoms up process, can you get to that user and then convert to the buyer effectively? So I actually look for that far more effectively at the Series A. At the seed, it's even more loose. You're probably looking much more strongly at the people and the overall market potential than anything else. So let's talk about how you should put together that early seed round. How much should you raise from who? Who should you look for as a lead, followers? Uh, how does that uh, come together? Yeah. So in terms of how much you should raise, I don't think there's any single magic amount that you, that you should think about raising in a round. The, the best advice that I think I can give is to figure out what are the milestones you're looking at to get to the next stage of the company or investment round. And actually, that's really the best advice you can always think of at the investment round. What is it you really want to take to get to the next level? And then figure out what that runway you will need to get there is, plus maybe a little bit of padding. And, and then from there, you can figure out the number that you need. That said, these days in the Valley, we're seeing seed rounds in the two to four million range. And Series A's have a ton of variants, but I'm gonna say eight to 15 is probably most commonly what we're seeing for the, for the Series A. One word of advice I'll say as you're putting together your, your round, it's easier to start by asking for a smaller amount and then up the raise from there during the discussion than it is to go up front and asking for too much money, getting turned down because the raise is clearly too high for where you are, and then having to come back with a smaller raise. That, that'll put you in a more awkward position. Let's talk about the nitty gritty about the actual pitch um, and signaling, what it, what's good signaling, what's bad signaling, uh, what should you, what's gonna impact the, uh, the valuation and uh, the connection with investors. Uh, so what are your tips around that? Yeah, um, I mean, there, there's a couple of things that I would say there. One is, as an investor, we see, we see a lot of pitches, in, hundreds of pitches per year. And I think the more engaged you can be, I, I know this, this, sounds, this sounds trite in many ways, but the more engaged and passionate you can be about, about what you're doing, how connected you are, and, and, and how engaged you can be with the investor, the better you can bring them in. You have that moment to, to bring the investor into the table, to bring them into the story. So just coming back to um, how should I consider who leads and who follows? 
well, in terms of who leads and who follows, uh, and there's different firms that'll that'll decide. Um, you know, some some firms are, are are prone to leading and following the investments. In terms of deciding, I don't, maybe the question is uh, how many, like whether you decide how many people you want investing in the round, whether you should have like a, a strong lead or or a number of leads or or like a co-lead situation. Is that is that more uh, the question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it depends on a CEO. How do you how do you view the how do you view the nature of an investment? If you view investing as purely a transaction, then you might have this investment to do a party round, right? If you, if you don't view investment as a, if you view investment as just you want to get money across the table and then go and then go and get back to work, then get as many and many investors on the table as you can with minority shares. Go about your merry way and go from there. If you view investing as a long-term relationship, then you're better off securing a really strong lead who you can work with closely in the future. Um, I'm biased. I mean, I'm an investor in an institutional, you know, venture capital firm. So my vote, of course, lies with the second approach of, of getting a strong lead, because I believe there's a lot of value that a good investor can bring when it comes to things like introductions, whether it's to, you know, to customers, uh, introductions to key hires, acting as a sounding board when it comes to everything from, you know, go to market, product strategy, marketing strategy, et cetera, things like early company building, um, how do you how do you bring in the right people? Pointing out the landmines that can happen as you're building the company, and just helping with raising follow-on funding, for example. So I, I really think that there's a, a strong value in securing a, a strong lead at both the seed and A rounds. Um, but you know, to to each their own, and and I think that uh, every CEO needs to make that own decision. How much does it matter? And I could. I've spoken to a number of CEOs about this, where they, they, they're kind of worried about having that, that big lead come in because they're worried that signaling-wise, if they then don't follow through or aren't so pushy with the next round, like if you get them in for the, for the um, seed and they, they decide they opt out of the A, how much does that matter to the entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, this is why it's important to go with reputable investors, I think. And if you... If you go with a seed investor, I mean, track, basically do your due diligence up front on your investors because you can be sure that your investors are doing diligence on you. And go and look at the progress of that investor. How often do they continue to do investments and follow on rounds? And this data is pretty readily available. So that's something that I would definitely follow up on. And, you know, spend time querying uh, past entrepreneurs who've worked with that investor to understand how much did they follow up and, and, and do follow on rounds and, and what did it take to, to keep them on the table. These are the kind of things that I would that I would be checking up on to see what it would take. And I would be upfront and see what, what are what are their parameters as a firm. Some firms will be very explicit and say we only do the seed round and we don't do our pro rata. Others will say we definitely do our pro rata or we always do our pro rata and we only do pro rata in these cases. So I would be upfront during the, the negotiation process and understand what it takes to get to the next round. What percentage of uh, startups that you're speaking to actually ask to speak to other founders that you've invested in and, and really do you think do that deep due diligence on you as a fund? Surprisingly few. And I think more should. And even if they don't necessarily ask us directly for those recommendations, it's not hard to go figure out who we've backed in the past and to go do back channels. And certainly everybody knows that uh, investors do back channels on founders. Founders should be doing back channels on investors. I'm 100% in favor of that. And, and, and I know that other investors believe.
the same. So then getting into the nitty gritty of the, the pitch and actually that, that uh, is, uh, lines up beautifully to the, the signaling. What signaling factors do you look at when you're thinking about the pitch uh, from startups? Yeah, um, there's, there's so many things that can go into a pitch. Um, and it's, it's, for me, I mean, they always talk about there's a thousand reasons why you shouldn't do a deal. You know, you're looking at hundreds of, comp- you know, hundreds of pitches every year. And so really you're looking for what is the one reason you should do a deal. That's what it comes down to. And so you really want, I think it's important for a CEO to get the investor excited. And so in the pitch, how do you, how do you bring that energy into the room? I think that's extremely important. So, you know, I think one of the skills I I mentioned up front that I look for in people is is that passion. And so getting, getting some training or some, some, you know, ability and skill in storytelling and weaving the narrative together. I think that's extremely important. You know, people have a focus on metrics and and building their slides. That's one thing, but the ability to actually tell a story is extremely important. And whether you have that skill in it or whether you actually train in it, and there's actually various services that can help you train it. And we certainly at, at Mayfield, we help teach our entrepreneurs part of that skill. It is a trainable skill, uh, you know, for, for follow-on investment rounds. Uh, it's something that I would highly recommend. So definitely, I would I would learn how to how to become engaging and how to build that storytelling ability. I think that's something that I, that I would work on. You know, for one thing, stand up when you're giving the pitch. Be expressive in the way you talk. You know, work through the numbers as you go. That that's one thing that I would look into. And uh, you know, that's part of the signaling that I look for when, I, when, I, when, I'm, when, I, when I'm, you know, and whether I see is, is this entrepreneur being engaging. What are negative signaling and signaling that in, uh, entrepreneurs might not know are negative signals to, to you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. One, one of the things about being on the other, the other side of the fence is there's a, there's a curse of knowledge. Sometimes it's hard to know what, what others don't know is, is negative signaling. One that I often hear, and I'm happy to, you know, if you, if you have thoughts on that, I'm happy to tell you whether, whether I believe it is or not. One, one that I often, I often hear about is if the CEO is not giving the pitch, is that a, is that a negative signaling or not? And so what I, what I believe is the CEO is the face of the company, you know, whether, you know, in, in, in almost all instances, this is the case, particularly for a growing startup. The CEO is usually the one who is doing most of the discussions across you know, publicly across the company. That is that is the reality. And so, if the CEO is not at least giving part of the pitch, that is there, there are questions, and that brings up a question. That question needs to be answered. And the more questions you bring up in the pitch, the more the more negative signaling that creates. Um, I don't think that the CEO has to give all of the pitch, but if the CEO is not giving at least part of the pitch or introducing the pitch, then that's an issue. I have seen CEOs orchestrate a pitch, like they'll start off the conversation and then they'll hand it off to other potential folks within their team to talk through specific aspects. But if they're not at least orchestrating the discussion or they're not leading off the discussion, there is something negative there because the CEO is the face of the company. And then something we talked about earlier, if, uh, if you are raising money and maybe as companies grow, you're raising money and you have the option to someone's interested in buying the company, uh, how do you look at that as an investor? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, it's it's all in the framing. So, as an investor who is backed by by you know who's backed by limited principal partners who've invested in, in our fund, we're looking for you know entrepreneurs who want to go the distance and build large public companies or similarly sized private exits. That's the reality of being in an institutional venture capital firm. And so, you know. We're, when if I if I see an entrepreneur who has an offer on the table 
you know, at the Series A stage, that's a similar valuation to you know, something that we're investing in. And they're seriously considering that offer. To me, that suggests, I'm asking, I would ask the question, are they seriously hungry enough to go and build something really big? Now, if they go and frame it as we, we turn down that offer where there's no way we're interested in taking that offer, that's a different story, right? So that's there, it's all about how you frame that offer. If it is, we turn down X number of offers along the way, we're not interested in selling the company at all, then maybe that's a signaling that suggests, okay, there's interest, this company is interesting to people, but we wanna go the distance. But if it is, we're considering whether we should take this offer or we should do a series A, then I question, does that entrepreneur really wanna go build something big? And then thinking about that journey, um, let's talk about the relationship between the investor and the uh, and the CEO. So uh, one one interesting thing I, I heard a, a, an investor say is, "Look, I invest in a few companies a year, and I'm going to be with them for the next 10, 20 years. Hopefully, not 20 years, but definitely like definitely five years, <laughs> may, like maybe 10 years, maybe a bit longer." And I only have so much of my, uh, my time, my life, I'm going to give to these projects. And I have a choice. And I get to choose who I uh, build relationships with. When should you start building the relationships with investors for Series A? Yeah, this, this is a really good question. And you, know, you see a lot of different opinions on this, right? So there, there's a trend right now in the Valley to, uh, I would say, to close investments very quickly to quickly meet investors and to try to close your investment within sometimes day, like, like a week, if not days. And I, fundamentally, I believe this is the wrong approach because if you are doing this series A or even a seed investment and you're getting someone on your board, this is a relationship, like you said, that is going to last years, could last well over a decade. You know, our partnership with Lyft was over a decade. Like these, these, are, these, are, these are partnerships that can last a very long time. And so, I would ask yourself, is that something that, is that a decision you really want to be making in the course of just 48, 72, 96 hours? I, I don't think that's the right approach. I think that a CEO should start building relationships with a Series A investor as early as possible. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you should be, you know, going through a raise process over the course of a year. But building a relationship could mean grabbing coffee and iterating over ideas and getting to know people for who they are. I think that's, and, and that, can, that can go through a number of different ways, but that to me is the right way to do it. So I, I think a good CEO, again, balanced against actually going and building the company and executing on, 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 on building the product, hiring teams, et cetera, should be spending some time building relationships early on, long before the raise process actually begins, because this is how you're going to figure out which of those investors are gonna actually add value and back your companies in the long run. And so how should the CEO be evaluating investors? What are the criteria that they should be looking at? Yeah, uh, the advice that I give a lot of CEOs and CEOs and founders is, you know, people think about which investors have created the biggest, you know, the biggest names in the valley, right? In terms of the, the big companies out there, the Googles and the Facebooks and et cetera. And I think it's just as important to look at not only the companies that were really successful and, and, and the investors that backed them. But when companies aren't doing well, you know, how do the investors treat those companies? So you want your investor to be backing you through thick and thin because companies go through bad times and good times. And, you know, there's investors out there who sometimes disappear when things don't do well. And so you want to make sure that your investor is there for you. So I, I would, I would be 
looking for a couple of things. I'd be looking for an investor who's there for you for thick and thin. I'd be looking for an investor who matches your profile for what it is you want. Do you want a hands-off investor who, you know, who basically, you know, you send an update and that's it? Do you want an investor who you work with closely, provides you guidance on product marketing, go-to-market strategy, et cetera? And where are the areas that you need the most help or guidance on? And how do you match that with an investor who provides that guidance? And you're only going to find that by actually spending time and talking with investors and by talking with entrepreneurs who've worked with that investor. So really there's no one size fits all between an investor and a founder. You're going to have to spend the time talking and doing the research to figure out what, you know, what matches well for you. So you've talked about great investors and great CEOs. Who are some people who you see doing this really well? Who are people you admire uh, in the Valley and beyond? That's a really good question. There are a lot of great investors in the Valley and beyond, but as a former product manager, ultimately I got into this business to help other people build greater things, and I really respect other early stage investors who have the same ethos. I'd love to call out Ed Sim from Bold Start, Leo Polovets from SUSE, and Hunter Walk from Homebrew, who all work really hard for their founders and share really great content to the wider ecosystem. I'd also be really remiss if I didn't mention the folks at Mayfield, in particular Naveen Chada, who's just been an incredible mentor for me on my journey through the world of venture capital. He really takes the concept of being people first very seriously, whether in working with people on our team or with our portfolio companies, and it shows. So you've shared some amazing knowledge. If you were a CEO trying to build an amazing company, where would be your next source of amazing knowledge? Yeah, I mean, I... I pick up my knowledge from a lot of different sources. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I read a lot online. I listen to a lot of, uh, listen to a lot of podcasts, how to CEO being one of them. Thank you. Um, within, within my domain, a couple of other ones, interesting ones I listen to, how I built this, um, software engineering daily, new stack, Tony VC. Uh, so I spend a lot of time doing that on, on my commute up and down the Valley. Um, I also read a lot of books. Um, and there's some classics in the field that I like. And, and one in particular that I think every CEO should read is uh, Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Um, I, I really think this is, this is a classic and that all CEOs should read this. And in particular, there's, there's one line that I really like from it. And this idea that there are no silver bullets to solving some problems. There's just a lot of hard work. There's a lot of lead bullets you have to fire to get things done. Ultimately, you know, when you're, when you're a CEO, there, sometimes there's no shortcuts to getting work done. You just have to put in the work. Um, and that's one thing that I think, you know, Ben Horowitz and a lot of his writing has mentioned and, and, and has, has really drilled forth and has gotten right. And honestly, I think this applies to venture capital as well. You can take a 20,000 foot view approach to life sometimes, but I think the reality is behind the scenes, a lot of the work happens outside of the boardroom and happens working alongside the CEOs doing the heavy lifting. And this is the stuff that you don't see, you know, you don't see on, on Twitter and you don't see in, in, in the outside world. It happens, you know, it happens in, in, it happens on the streets, basically. So thank you for sharing that. So who are, tell me about some recent investments, who they are and why you invested in them. Yeah. So we, uh, I, I, we recently unveiled our investment in uh, Dev Community uh, or Dev.to which is the fastest growing open source platform for developers, um, which uh, is an investment I made uh, and joined the board of alongside Naveen Chada at Mayfield. 
um, and I am super excited about this company. Uh, the, the, the basic idea around this is if you spend a lot of time within the, the developer community, um, a lot of the traditional developer websites are, uh, they're, they're, there's a lot of focus on uh, sort of the knowledge that you have. There's a lot of gatekeeping around you know, what degrees you have or what environment you were previously from, what school you came from, what knowledge you have. The, the folks at Dev came from the idea that no matter what your developer background is, no matter where you're from, as long as you create software, you're a developer. And they built the community up from there and they're growing incredibly quickly. They have 5 million developers and growing on their site from there. And that positivity and openness and vibrancy, you know, it, it drew me in immediately. So I was, I was using this site as a user actually long before we met the company. And once I got the chance to actually meet them, I jumped at it. Um, the founders are amazing, all three of them, uh, uh, Peter, Ben, and Jess, PBJ, all three handle C-level duties, um, and, and they share that well. Peter has amazing EQ and business sense. Ben is a strong product strategy and the pulse of the community, and Jess is the operational glue that keeps the company together. Um, and be, beyond the sort of the developer community, they've also, they've also built a strong open source platform, which can be used to build additional inclusive communities. And so there's a huge opportunity beyond to build this community model Using the uh, using the power of open source, so I'm extremely excited about the power of Dev community and, and what it can do for for uh, uh, for the world of open source. So so that's my that's the investment I'm most excited about right now. Um, I've also made a couple of seed investments as well, uh, which I'm excited about. Um, so one of them is called Golinks, which is a, a, a out of a Y Combinator uh, about two Y Combinator batches ago. This is a company that's making it easier to share information internally within an organization. A CEO's name is Jorge Zamora. He's a quick thinking, very technical entrepreneur, solid grounding, uh, solidly grounded head on his shoulders, and he's building an amazingly fast growing business. Um, and the other seed investment isn't public yet, but I hope to talk about it soon. It's in the infrastructure space. Um, but in general, I'm just, I'm just extremely excited about, about where the business is going and, uh, and about my time at Mayfield. Vivek, thank you very much for being on the show, um, sharing some phenomenal knowledge. Once again, if people want to connect with you, how do they do that? Yeah, so again, you, thank you for having me, Murray. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the V Saraswat. You can also find me at LinkedIn or uh, check out my blog at VivekSaraswat.com to learn more about product uh, investing in startups. I'm your host, Murray Newlands. You've been listening to the How to CEO show. Thank you very much for subscribing. Please share, and I look forward to chatting to you next time.